Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled An Eye Toward Improving Adherence, Easing the DME Treatment Burden with Longer-Acting Anti-VEGF Agents. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Hi, my name is David Boyer. I'm an adjunct clinical professor at USC Keck School of Medicine and the partner at Retina Vitreous Associates Medical Group. It's my pleasure today to introduce the overall program of easing the diabetic macular edema treatment burden with longer-acting anti-VEGF agents. In this first session, we'll try to give you the most recent guidelines for treating patients with diabetic macular edema. It's important to realize that type 1 diabetics should be screened within five years of the initial diagnosis, and then yearly until they have some degree of diabetic retinopathy. In type 2, they should be seen at diagnosis, and then again yearly. In pregnancy, whether uh, they're in a type 1 or a type 2 setting, soon after conception and in the first trimester, and then depending on the degree of retinopathy, every three to four months after that, including three months after pregnancy, as recommended by the American Academy of Ophthalmology. So the recommended eye exams based on the severity of retinopathy may range from yearly examinations with minimal change or no change to proliferative disease. However, when the patients begin to develop center-involved diabetic macular edema, these are patients who are at risk for visual loss. You're seeing these patients every one to four months, depending on whether you've treated them or a degree of edema. It's found that less than 35% of patients with diabetic eye disease receive the examinations at the recommended intervals. The most common reason is the patients don't believe they need diabetic eye examinations, but cost and insurance also plays a major role. The American Academy of Ophthalmology, American Diabetic Association treatment recommendations are interventional injections of anti-VEGF are first-line treatments for center-involving diabetic macular edema. Focal lasers is used in patients who have non-center-involved diabetic macular edema to reduce the treatment burden, and interventional steroids alone or in combination with anti-VEGF are considered second-line treatments for diabetic macular edema. One-fourth of those with diabetic macular edema discontinue treatment during the first two years. And a lot of things contribute to this non-adherence, including the fear of the injections, um, the discomfort, the time coming in every month or every six weeks, travel, disruption to work, social activities. So both patients and caregivers report that anti-VEGF treatment has negatively impacted their work and daily activities. The most common frequency of injections was every four to five weeks. So certainly less frequent injections would likely ease the treatment burden for the patients and their caregivers. In the next session, I'll provide an update on the latest efficacy data for approval and emerging long-acting anti-VEGF agents. As you're well aware, there are several agents that are available for us. Bevacizumab, which is not FDA-approved for diabetic macular edema, is certainly very commonly used. And there is a biosimilar drug that is undergoing a phase three trial at this time. Ranibizumab has been shown to be effective when treated monthly. Rolicizumab every six weeks for the first five doses and every eight to 12 weeks. Aflibercept at two milligrams every four weeks for the first five doses and then every eight weeks. And ferisumab every four weeks 
for four doses. And then once it's dry, patients would be able to be extended up to 16 weeks. Protocol T demonstrated to us the superiority in the first year of a flibercept over uh, bevacizumab and ranibizumab. And certainly at the end of two years with more frequent injections, ranibizumab and a flibercept were very close and still bevacizumab doing well, lag behind. With newer agents that are coming out, as you can see from this trial of Photon, you can see that patients that were injected with two milligrams every eight weeks versus eight milligrams every 12 to 16 weeks were able to get similar type of visual improvements. And these visual improvements were not driven by whether the patients had good vision to begin with or whether they had poor vision to begin with, or were not driven by the fact that the retinal thickness was either thin or thick depending on what you call the baseline. Rolosuzumab in the Kestrel trial, Kite trials, and as you can see, this was a non-inferiority trial of Rolosuzumab versus a flibercept. And you can certainly see that in the Kestrel trial that there was an excellent response to the three milligram and six milligram dose with less frequent dosing. However, because Rolosuzumab has been associated with some degree of intraocular inflammation, its use is minimal. Frisimab had the Yosemite and Ryan trials. They randomized non-inferiority trials. Again, Frisimab, which is a bispecific versus aflibercept for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. Large trials with over 1,800 patients involved. And you can see, again, that the Frisimab given every eight weeks compared to aflibercept given eight weeks with very similar results. And the Frisimab given um, on more of a personal treatment interval was also able to give less frequent injections and achieve the same results as a flibrocept two milligrams that was administered per label. In the next section, we'll discuss the evidence on the safety of long-acting anti-VEGF agents that are here and are coming out for diabetic macular edema. We're all aware that there are common AEs that are associated with any intravitreal injection for any cause. These include conjunctival hemorrhage, eye pain, Interocular pressure increases immediately after the injection and some degree of vitreous floaters. There are rare, however, but very serious AEs that occur, including cataract formation, endophthalmitis, retinal detachment, uveitis, and even retinal vasculitis, which may be occlusive. If we look at the drug-related AEs from the various trials using anti-VEGF therapy, brolicizumab certainly stands out as having a very high incidence of interocular inflammation some of which was associated with significant visual loss from occlusive vasculitis. Verisimab, again, had a very small incidence at 2% in the Yosemite, 1% in Rhine, compared to 3% in the aflibercept control. And again, these were not associated with interocular occlusive vascular disease. Aflibercept in protocol T, they had a 3%. Incidence of slight uveitis, as well as bevacizumab in protocol T, and ranibizumab, a 2% incidence in protocol T. In the photon study of 8 milligram dose, the serious ocular events were very, very similar to what we saw with the 2 milligram, with no specific signs of occlusive vasculitis in any of the patients, and no signs of endophthalmitis or severe changes in the vision. 
things that we should typically talk to our patients about before we give the injections that they may have a red eye. Certainly, we're all capable of breaking a small capillary and causing some conjunctival hemorrhage. They may have pain from the injection or feel a pressure feeling. They can have pain after, depending if the beta dye, which is usually used, is not washed out accurately. They can have some degree of vision loss immediately. They should not have prolonged vision loss, and that has to be stressed. Tearing and an increase in floaters, certainly a day later or two days later, is a significant sign that may indicate that the patient has an infection and may be a reason to bring them in early. We try to limit the degree of infection by the use of topical ovidine iodine. It's recommended for all our intravitreal injections and has reduced the incidence of endophthalmitis to a very low level. Intravitreal antibiotics in case of infection are certainly necessary, but we don't treat patients topically, usually with antibiotics before and after based upon large studies. Interocular inflammation is certainly treated with topical corticosteroids if there's minimal inflammation. And again, intravitreal or systemic steroids for more severe inflammation and if you do encounter occlusive vasculitis. In this fourth session, we'll discuss patient and disease-related factors that impact the choice of anti-VEGF treatments for patients with diabetic macular edema. We all relied on protocol T for a number of years. This was a two-year comparative study showing the effectiveness of aflibercept versus aranibizumab versus bevacizumab. And as I indicated previously, it was fairly obvious that in the first year of treatment, that patients who were on aflibercept did much better. But at the end of two years, the aflibercept and the ranibizumab patients caught up with lagging behind almost five letters in the patients who were on bevacizumab, clearly indicating the two branded medications were far superior. However, the results were actually very excellent, even for bevacizumab. Protocol V was very interesting. It showed us that patients who were asymptomatic with small central areas of edema could be followed. There was really no difference whether they had laser treatment, anti-VEGF therapy, or were followed for a two-year period. It gave us a chance to observe patients that normally we would have treated when we saw center-involved macular edema, as long as they were asymptomatic, and begin treatment when they became symptomatic. The 8-milligram aflibercept studies indicated to us that we could extend treatment and still maintain excellent vision compared to the 2-milligram dose. So even up to 16 weeks, most patients that were treated in that category maintained the 16-week interval. So again, we have to individualize it, but it gave us a great hope that we'd be able to go four months between treatments in these patients. Frisimab also showed us that we were able to go 16 weeks in a large number of patients. It's a different trial design, having built up to this level with chronically getting better whereas approximately 52% of these patients were able to go 16 weeks, with another 20% of patients going at least 12 weeks without any changes. So this was, again, another way of showing that we're having longer-acting treatment intervals, certainly to be able to treat our patients to reduce the treatment burden. In the next session, let's discuss the strategies for communicating with patients about the importance of adherence to anti-VEGF treatment, which is obviously one of the most important things. Continued treatment will lead to much better results. I have to make sure that a patient understands that this is a journey. It's not one and done. One shot will not make a big difference. 
with our AMD patients, we had a wowie effect. Um, this is not always seen with our patients with diabetic macular edema. The wowie effect is when you give the shot, the next day the patients actually show some degree of improvement. And in pivotal trials, patients received anywhere from three to five loading doses, making sure that they understand that monthly dosing in the beginning may be necessary. And the patients have to understand that they play an essential role. They must control their blood sugar, their blood pressure, and their lipids in order for us to get an improvement long-term. And what I end up doing usually is to show the patients the fundus photographs, the OCTs. I try to allay the fears about getting a needle in the eye. We do minimize pain and discomfort by adequately anesthetizing in the usual manner. In patients who have some degree of pain, I do utilize some non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs to try to reduce the post-op pain and ask them to use artificial tears over the next day to minimize any change. I try to manage the patient's expectations. This is going to take us a long time to see an improvement that the patients will realize. This treat and extend approach that I utilize may allow us to get patients three to four months out in patients that previously were not able to be extended to that degree. This will encourage the patients to come in on a less frequent basis, but maintain their excellent level of vision. These are monthly treatments until the patient is dry. And then once their vision is stable and they have had a marked reduction in the amount of edema, you can be extended by two weeks usually, and some of the studies show that you can actually extend by four weeks, up to 16 weeks in some cases, and still maintain excellent level of vision. The criteria that I have for extension is the absence of any intraretinal fluid, stable or reduction in subretinal fluid, and no signs of any new hemorrhage or any loss of vision. We're very lucky to have these longer-acting agents that will be available to us now and in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.